0: One of the lines in that Psalm was the verse that said, I, I hear a language that I do not understand. And that is indicating that God is the one who is speaking to, to his people, and that his people are to give careful and close attention. So if you have copies in the Word of God, please turn to Psalm 81. You can find that on your Pew Bibles on page 491. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went over, went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language, I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden; your hands were freed from the basket. In distress, you called. And I delivered you. I answered you in that secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O oh my people, while I admonish you. O oh Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Lord, we come wanting to hear from you. Speak to us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've seen these commercials before. They appear rather abruptly and unpleasantly. But you have had many sequences of commercials that have been pleasant and fun and uplifting and you're excited about this product, about this new thing that you need to go buy at the store, whatever it may be. And then you get the commercial that's dark, that's dreary, the music is sad, and the camera panels in on an individual in a wheelchair with a voice box. And the slogan is, you need to quit smoking. Or don't smoke to begin with. Why is this commercial presented to us? It's presented to us because it is meant to be an example, a visual for our very eyes to say, that is not who we're supposed to be. It's supposed to awaken us to the reality that if we go down that route, this is what this is going to look like. In Psalm 81, we have a, this call to awaken, but not a call to awaken to quit smoking, but a call to awaken your heart to listen to your God. Awaken your heart to listen to your God. And in this Psalm, we see three specific ways that we are to awaken our hearts. And the first one that we are given in this text is to relish your Creator. So you're awakened your heart to listen to God. And the first way to do this is by relishing your Creator. We see this in verses 1 to 5, if you want to look here at the, at the Bible. There's this call to, to worship. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. This is a picture of this call to worship, is to be this exuberant, boisterous singing and worshiping to the Lord. It's not a dull, sad affair, but it is a jubilant, joyful, excitable occasion where the people come to their God to hear Him speak. How is this worship characterized in this church, in your family worship? Is it this exuberant, joyful worship that we see, the, 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 the blowing the trumpet, the new moon, the, the raising the, the lyre, the harp, is it, is it characterized by a joyous exuberance? When you come to worship the, the God of creation, that this is what your worship looks like. This is what the worship in this church looks like, and we see a lot of covenantal language in this psalm as well. We see in verse four, for it is a statute for Israel, a rule for the God of Jacob. What does this point us back to the the covenant that that God made with Jacob, that that He would create the twelve tribes of Israel, that his name will be great. It's reminding us that this God is a covenantal God who keeps his promises. Yet another reason for us to have this exuberant, joyful, excitable type of worship. He made it a decree in Joseph. Again, look at the mighty acts that the Lord has done through Joseph, these amazing acts of deliverance. So God is pulling these different aspects together to say, this is my my character. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God who made the decree through Joseph. Relish and rejoice in this God who is the promise keeper, the covenant maker, the one who has set you apart for himself, brought you from death to life. Is that supposed to be? But sometimes our worship isn't characterized that way, is it? And it's because we do not see God for what he is. We're not relishing the the creator, the the one that the beginning of this psalm is meant to draw us into the very throne room and the being of who he is. I mean, this is this is the God who is infinite, the God who is eternal. Relish his eternality. Relish his sovereignty, his perfect perfection, his holiness that he is unique and utterly set apart, that there is no ounce of evil in this God that you worship. He is so infinite and vast in his sums of knowledge that all of the libraries in the United States of America and all the libraries in the world could not begin to even touch the infinite. Vast knowledge that this God of yours possesses. In fact, even the libraries in Congress would be made to look like an empty matchbox. And even the greatest supercomputer that both exists now or ever will exist cannot begin to compute the vastness and the majesty of all that your God is. Do you relish him. Look at me. Do you relish this one? This one that you come to hear from. This one that you come to hear the divine voice of God speak to you. Do you relish him? Or is your heart simply dull? And that going through the motions of worship is just pure drudgery. And if it is, the reality is that sometimes it is. And there are other psalms, like Psalm 103, that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, my whole heart within me. The psalm is seeking to... to Basically, get his heart in a state of mind that he can worship the the God who has made him in such a way that this God deserves. You need to be constantly aware of the responsibility of recalibrating your heart to relish your God. And in verse 3, we see that it draws us to attention below the trumpet, the new moon, the full moon on our feast day. That there are these appointed times that the Lord has set aside for His people to worship. Back in the Old Testament, it was X. Here in the New Testament, it's the Sabbath day. It's the Lord's day where we come right here to worship. Do we set aside time? Do we prepare our hearts well to hear and to relish the One who has made us? Because Hebrews 10, 24-25, it warns us about this very thing. It says, Do not neglect to, get, to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not be those who neglect to gather together on the appointed day of the Lord to worship Him. Worship comes first. God comes first. And you're not just to give God lip service and then fail to honor Him with your time. But how often do we do that? It's simply lip service, but our hearts are far from them. They're not relishing the the Creator who has made us. And so our worship becomes a burden. You show up and you're heart is thinking about all the other things that you've got to do. It's not focused on the one who is before you. The one who is infinite beyond the wildest imaginations. There was a individual named Antonio de saint If I'm saying that right in French. He gave it this way. We do need to understand that worship is a duty. But the duty could become a task in itself that's not a joy. If you want to build a ship, you don't, you don't drum up people to collect wood and then you don't assign them tasks and work, but rather you teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Then the tasks become a joy. Then they become a delight to the heart Are you longing for the endless immensity of who God is? Do you relish this one? And we see even as just a point of application, here. the song starts off at the beginning, sing aloud to God our strength. Some of you perhaps are afraid to sing. Maybe you think, my voice isn't very good. Guess what? God wants to hear you. He says, Sing aloud to God, our strength. Raise your voice high to the King of Kings because he wants to hear it. He is delighted to hear your voice. Do you raise it aloud to him? And parents, this is something you need to model to your children. They're not going to sing aloud to the Lord if they don't see you doing that. Do you do that? Do you model that for them? And if, you were, if, one of your, if I were to ask your children or somewhere else to come and ask your children, is your worship characterized by exuberant joy? What would they say? Kids pick up on things that sometimes we least expect. So awaken your heart to listen to your God and do it by relishing your Creator. But not only to awaken our hearts to listen to God by relishing your Creator, but you are also to do it by remembering your deliverance. Look here at verse 5-10 to 10 in the text. We see a lot of these kind of things. He made a decree in jo- Joseph when he went out. Uh, I relieved your shoulder of the burden, distress I called and delivered you. I, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. All of these This section here is drawing attention for the people to be reminded of what God has done. This section marks the dramatic shift to where I mentioned the beginning, where God is the one speaking directly to his people. Where it's no longer the, the voice of Asaph, the one who wrote this, but it is now God himself speaking to his people. Yahweh himself is about to give a sermon of exhortation. Or is his people going to hear it? And he begins by recounting his greatest hits, as it were. He wants his people to remember. Remember when he says, you you cried out in distress in verse 7. In distress, you called. And what happened? I delivered you. He draws our attention back to in verse 10. I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Egypt. Remember those times when you cried out and I was there and I heard your voice and I answered you. Remember when Pharaoh's army was hounding after you with their chariots and their horsemen and they were there and you were standing before the Red Sea and you saw this vast ocean before you and you said, there's no way, we're going to die, we're going to perish, Lord, help. And the sea was parted. And the people walked through. And what happened to Pharaoh's army? The people walked at the other end of the shore as the sea enclosed around them, and they were destroyed. Destroyed. The Lord destroyed one of the greatest superpowers of the ancient world by swallowing them up in the sea and his people did not even lift a finger to do so. Remember, when I spoke to you of the secret place of thunder, in verse 7, I answered you in the secret place of thunder, Mount Sinai. Moses, given the law, the, the secret place of thunder, shrouded in smoke, the, the, the voice of God sounding terrible. that The people are afraid to come near the mountain. This education by encounter, as it were. But as great as the exodus was, as, as great as it was to, for the people to see the mountain smoke and the lightning flash, and Moses come down upon the mountain... These are types and and shadows of something greater, of an exodus that is far more powerful. It's a dress rehearsal for something far more magnificent. The, The exodus of the Lord bringing and coming on this earth and bringing people from death to life. All the enemies were swallowed up in the sea by Christ, our Redeemer, by Christ, our conquering general. He has liberated you from the power of death. He has liberated you, that you no longer have to live to the old man and the ways of the old self. And he, through his death and resurrection, now reigns and rules until all Peoples and nations and tribes and languages both come to him or kneel before him. You stayed on the shore looking back at what Christ did, at this exodus at the the shore of the Red Sea, as it were, and you didn't lift a finger. You, like Israel, stand at the shore and look back on all the wonders of the works that God has done. And you look back on this work, and it is to be a fuel for both your present and your future obedience. And all of this gives grounds to why we are to listen to God. Because verse 8 here says, Hear, O my people, I'll admonish you so look at the things I've done. Remember the glorious acts of deliverance. Now listen to me. Listen to me, people. Because I'm a, I'm a, you're not listening. So listen to me. God is standing here saying, look at all that I have done for you. But how quickly... Did the people forget? Moses comes down, and the people made a golden calf. How quickly did they forget? The Lord had provided for them. The, the Lord had given them manna from heaven. They grumbled and complained. How quickly! Did they forget? But my people did not listen to my voice. My people would not listen to my voice, and Israel would not submit to me. And then we see what they did do. They they, the calf, the going after the Baals, the, the, the other gods, this was where the heart went. That when God was not enough, they went to these other idols. They went to these other things. And the, the, in verse 9 it says, There shall be no strange God among you, and you shall not bow down to a foreign God. This was the most basic request that the Lord had given to his people. I shall be your God, and you shall be my people, and there shall be no other God in your midst. And yet time and time again the people went back to other gods. Time and time again, the people went after the things that were not true. And yet, even you are the same. The Lord gives you reminder after reminder don't go there, don't do that. But my child would not listen to me. They would go after other things, and Paul even tells us in First Corinthians 10, why they would be why why it was that they were sent out into the wilderness? It's because they were committing idolatry or it's be, and it's because they were they were committing idolatry, and so they were there for you to be an example for you not to follow in those paths. And you might say, well, I don't bow down to the, to the rocks. I don't pick up a stick and say that it's, it's a God. But you do it in other ways. You go after fame. You are not satisfied with your identity in Christ, so you seek the, the, the praise and the honor and the glory of men. You idolize, perhaps, your own comforts, your own sense of security. And it's because you you think that these idols will satisfy you. It's because you believe that the Lord is not sufficient to give you all that you need. And so you run after these other things. You look to people to please you. You look to money and you store wealth for yourself. You look to education, sex, power, or yourself, rather than relying on God and remembering Him in what He in His wisdom has decided by His providence to give you. At the very heart of this, idolatry is unbelief. It's a doubt in the goodness of God. So you are anxious and you think God has gotten your circumstances wrong. You grumble and complain because you look at what others have and you believe you ought to have what they have, but not just what they have, but more. Your marriage isn't good enough, so you look to online things, and you go after other people. There shall be no strange God among you, why? Why shall there be no strange God among you? It's because, verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Am I not enough for you? You can hear Jesus' words in the, in the gospel. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? King Jesus is not coming. He didn't come here to seek some kind of fan club. He came to gather worshipers and to command allegiance. You shall worship God, and him only shall you serve. This is the most basic command in all of Scripture. And the people are not listening. Are you listening? Luke thirteen thirty four Jesus says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Do not be found unwilling. The end of the verse 10. After the Lord has said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, then there's this statement: Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. The people are going to all these things because they believed that God was not enough. And he's standing before them and saying, Open your mouth wide. I will fill it. Everything that you need, everything that that is basic for your necessities of life and even beyond that, your wildest imagination, I will satisfy it if you but just open your mouth. I will satisfy it. Why are you going after these other gods that don't exist, these stones that can't speak and the rocks that can't move? and you're worshiping these. You should be coming to me. Am I not enough? I will not let your soul go hungry. All of the promises of the Bible are true for you. Are they not enough? If you've ever seen a mother bird come to a nest where there are a bunch of tiny baby birds, you'll see they have their mouths open. And it's fascinating because they know what the mother bird is bringing them. And they're waiting. The mother bird doesn't have to convince them to open their mouths. They're there, wide open, waiting for the food to to drop into their mouths. Because she knows, they, they know that that's what she is bringing them. And it's enough. Are you... One who has your mouth open, wide, pleading with the Lord, fill it. Because if you're not, you should be. And once you do, he will. So do it. Open your mouth wide. Do not forget the deliverance that Christ has wrought. Again, constantly in this section here, the Lord is bringing to mind the acts of deliverance as more and more reason for the people to listen. You have a greater exodus. You've been brought from death to life. Listen to your God. Thank Him every day for the things that He has given you. How often do we just use the Lord as a vending machine? We come in and we... This is what I want. I want B, C, the Skittles, and they come down, and that's what I want. And once I have it, I come back and I've consumed it, and then I come back for more. How often do you treat God that way? Make it a regular habit in your life daily to thank the Lord for the things that you've been given. And you will see that He has satisfied you beyond your wildest imagination with more things for you to give praise and honor and glory to Him for than you could ever complain about. So awaken your heart to listen to your God by relishing your Creator, by remembering your deliverance, by renouncing your rebellion. Look at verse 11 through 16. Verse 11 says, But my people did not listen to my voice. He's thrown up all these reasons. He's re- reminding them who he is in his infinite glory and in his infinite power and in the amazing acts of deliverance that, they, that he has shown them. Just as he has shown each and every single one of you today, here, he has shown you a mighty act of deliverance. But my people did not listen to my voice. What a somber tone. But my people, my people, my child, my children... They would not listen to me. They wouldn't listen. Do you hear in that verse the divine heart break? I hear it. Do you see the divine tears of God as He looks? Upon his people. And he says, But they wouldn't listen. Despite all that I did for them, they would not hear my voice, my children. They would not listen to me. And this was the very epitome of what Matthew 13 says in verse 14 You shall indeed hear, but never understand, and shall indeed see, but never perceive. They are the epitome of that. Are you one who sees and hears but never perceives, understands, and obeys? God has spoken to his people through these mighty acts. He has shown them who he is. But You, sometimes, like Israel, simply insist on your own way. And in Romans 1, and also here we see in verse 12, consequences of failure to listen to God. Verse 12 here says, So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. And if you turn to Romans 1, there's three times the same kind of language is used in Romans 1. In verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, the impurity to dishonor of their bodies amongst themselves. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, And since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And this is not an act of love from God. It is a act of judgment. God is giving the people what they want. And sometimes God gives you what you want. But it is not an act of love. It's An act of judgment. See, there comes a point when failure time and time and time again to not listen to your God results in God removing His hand from you. And God basically says, okay, you want to live the way that you want to live? You you can do that. But it's not going to be with me. I will have no part of it. I am holy, and nothing that is not holy and righteous can be in my presence. You can live that way. You want to worship idols? Okay, have at it. You can, you can worship idols. You want to indulge in sexual fantasies? Have at it. You can do that. You want to be kings of your world and to, to have dominion over the places in your life? You can You can do that. And this is utterly horrifying. And this is completely terrifying. But you do not need to die in unbelief. You do not need to die in idolatry. And you do not need to live a lie. And how do you know if you are not one of those who God gives to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels? It's to be the complete opposite of what was happening here. But my people did not listen to me. They did not follow my commands. It's to be those who have heard God in Obeyed him. That, those are the people who are not given over to their stubborn hearts. You might say, Well, I don't do these things perfectly. Are you saying that I need to be perfect? I'm not saying that. But is your, mar- is your life marked by a growing in holiness and righteousness? such that an outsider or a person at your work could look at you, and without even knowing that you were a Christian, by you verbally stating that could say, I know there is something different about this one. Is your life marked by a growing in righteousness, a growing to respond to the Word of God? Not with perfection, but with increasing regularity. God knows that our hearts are prone to wander. But when you wander, do you always come back to Him? In verses 13 and 14, we see, Although my people would listen to me, the Israel would walk in my ways. Verse 14, I would soon subdue their enemies. That word soon can also be translated in the Greek to say quickly. Quickly. That God is standing at the door of your heart, waiting for you to listen to Him. And that when you do, He is waiting there to so very quickly bring you back to Himself. He's not going to put you in time out. He's not going to say, Come back to me in a few years. But if you would just but listen to me, how quickly I would come. How quickly I would act. How quickly I would bring you back into the fold of my sheep, if you would but listen to me. In verse 60, but he would feed you with the finest of wheat. With the honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. He's waiting there. He's waiting. Ready to act. Will you listen? God delights in the idolater who comes to his senses. God delights in people from all kinds of backgrounds coming to him. His arms are open wide here. And he is ready to satisfy your every need. But will you listen? Will you obey? Or will you be like those in verse 12? That God gives up. It is the heart of the Lord that you would listen. He wants you, and he is coming after you. He leaves the 99 to come after the one. Do you not see the open invitation of your God to come? But in coming, you need to listen. And you can't come to him and then reject him or the things that he tells you to do. If you come to him, you need to obey. Imagine a, a stick figure holding a heart out to, to God. God is looking down from heaven and he's saying, that's all I have ever wanted. And I would satisfy you with the finest of, of the wheat. Not with water. No, not with water. But with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Lord, we come to you, God and King whose kingdom is advancing, and yet we come as people who so often fail to listen to you. Oh Lord, forgive us. Forgive each and every single one of us in this room when we fail to listen to your voice. Crying out from heaven, will you listen to me? May we relish you May we remember your great acts of deliverance that would draw us into the very throne of God, that we may be hearts may be united to worship this, all that you are. And may we renounce all of our rebellion, all of our wickedness, all of the evil, all the ways that we stray from you. Oh, how our hearts are prone to wander. But Lord, we rejoice in Christ, who always listened to you who always did what was pleasing to the Father. And in our weakness and in our failure to listen, we know that there was one who never failed to listen and who always obeyed. Oh Lord, we rest upon Him. But we know in resting upon Him, You require things of us. You require a lifestyle of listening. Cause us to walk in obedience to this. And as we do so, give us Your Spirit that we may be successful in it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.